Hello, welcome to Blaze Pod. My name is Ben. I'm, of course, Sheffield United fan. Uh, recording this on Wednesday, the 7th of March, so just after our defeat to Fulham. Uh, joining me on this week's episode is uh, Jay Sosick, who is a Blaze fan, a statistics enthusiast. Uh, you may have seen him uh, tweeting out some very interesting stuff on his Twitter feed, which is uh, Blades Our Life 90. Um, and yeah, Jay has given up some time to talk to me today, not only about Fulham, uh, you know, we, we kind of move on from that fairly quickly so we can get some good stuff as well, but also the last few weeks um, of all things Sheffield United uh, since we last spoke, which was that Leeds win. So uh, we touch on the QPR victory, the sort of bizarre performance and meltdown around the whole game, the victory over Reading that fo- subsequently followed that. Uh, we talk a little bit about um, uh, two very good goalkeepers, generally about the state of the championship, where we think United are at. Um, yeah, here it comes. It's uh, it's a good one. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks a lot. So uh, I am joined now by Jay Sosick, who very generously has agreed to uh, call me on his lunch break to talk about the last few weeks of Sheffield United. Hello, Jay. Hello, Ben. How are you, mate? Very good. Thank you. How are you today? Yeah, I'm pretty good. I've uh, I've been hard at work and also trying to recover from last night. <laughs> nice one. So, um, obviously, last night was United's three 0 defeat to Fulham. Um, I actually missed the first half of this game because uh, I had some family stuff to take care of. But um, I saw the second half. But do you want to give me your sort of uh, your impressions from this game? Yeah. Um... Actually, the first half originally wasn't too bad, in my opinion, especially the first 15 minutes. We started extremely well with the ball, very progressive. Um, in the first 10, I think we actually had better possession than Fulham. Um, created a, a couple of half chances, opportunities and openings type thing, um, and it looked quite promising. And then as the half progressed, we got pinned further and further back. Um, I'm not sure if that was tactical or just how the game game flow went. Um but Fulham just began dominating the ball. Uh, Kearney and Johansson, especially, we we just we didn't want them to play passes through us, so we dropped off, and that allowed them to just have possession anywhere up to I would say our box. Um, and then it was like defend from there. Uh, we did obviously. I'm sure a lot of fans out there been, who did go or watched it will know that we did create some good chances in that first half, uh, particularly the Billy Sharp header. Have you seen Ben? I wa- yeah, I watched the highlights this morning. I mean, I, so I, I watched. Uh, I think I probably turned the radio on as I was heading back, sort of just after Fulham had scored, and then essentially just listened to uh, whoever the radio commentator was, just basically listing Fulham players' names because they were the only ones who were touching <laughs> the ball. Um, and then, yeah, I saw the second half, and I mean, you know, the contrast between that and say uh, the Wolves game, which is the other sort of obvious point of comparison, where we, you know, we were soundly beaten. You know, there is quite a contrast, I think, from certainly from what I saw and then from those highlights as well. I mean, you know, in in the second half, sort of in that spell between half time and their third goal, you know, we we had quite a bit of the ball and we were we were getting into dangerous areas. And I mean, I, I guess you can sort of easily say, well, Fulham, you know, maybe you know they're two 0 up, so they're kind of willing to let us have that bit of possession. But then, as the rest of the game panned out, it, it felt like they were still kind of going for the jugular. And yeah, I think we were. I don't think it's any outrageous to say we were just up against probably a much better team, to be honest. Oh, I'd agree. They they are a Rolls-Royce team in our league, especially moving forwards uh, attackively. They they have players. I mean, Stefan Johansson's one of the best chance creators in the league. Uh, I think a lot of Blades fans would have seen that last night. The forward passing into Mitrovic was outstanding. 
it was all directly to his feet or his chest, everything. A defender couldn't get there, even if they wanted to. It was, and Mitrovic just bullied Stearman all evening. Um, that's not anything against Richard Stearman, who I think has been far better than I actually expected. Yeah. Um, he just played against what should be a Premier League player last night. Yeah. Um, had a had a short smug moment, not not because it was a, a good thing for United, but I, I think I tweeted out about two minutes before the first goal went in that you could see from the way the game was unfolding that any any Fulham action was happening down our left, their right, and it, it simply Stevens, who I think has been very good this year, just could not cope with the pace of Ojo. Uh, and Frederick's bombing on and it was just obvious what was going to happen they were going to beat him at some point because O'Connell was getting dragged centrally to try and help Stearman out with Mitrovic and the inevitable happened on the first goal it was the overlap they got him wide put it in the middle and and Mitrovic just got the run on Stearman yeah I mean uh, as anyone who listened to uh, to listen to me talk about Fulham when we played them earlier in the season I did kind of speculate at the time that they were kind of just perfectly set up to play against us as in they have the the perfect system the perfect players in that they have this you know they have a lot of pace out wide and up front and you know that that seemed to be the case again last night the amount of times they just sort of broke on us very quickly and easily I mean the the third goal is kind of a, a great example of that I guess I mean you know I'm watching United knock the ball around quite quite comfortably and then it eventually goes back to our central defense and then I think it's it's Stearman plays like a I guess a slightly loose ball into midfield. We lose it, and suddenly there's there's four on three streaking forward into our box, and eventually that ends up being the goal. But I mean, as you said, you know, Fulham are, are a class above. I mean, the, the way I kind of um, the way I kind of see this division, how it's panned out, is you have this this top tier of of Wolves, Fulham, and and Cardiff, who actually I've seen very little of this season, but pretty much every kind of statistic and advanced metric I see suggests that they are you know, full full value for sitting in a promotion spot. spot. So, um, yeah, I see that there's that tier of those three and then they are a good distance ahead of the next tier down, which I think does include us, to be honest. I think it's sort of six, maybe seven teams that sit in that second tier uh, who are all going to be kind of fighting for, um, well, three playoff spots, I suppose. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the, the other thing with Fulham that I kind of thought is as ridiculous uh, a form as they're in, I think it's... Is it someone like twenty-seven points from their last eleven games? It's, it, it. I mean, they've virtually won every game, haven't they, for a quite a long period now? Um, but as, as ridiculous as that is, I'm not actually sure they're going to go up automatically. I think I think Cardiff will hold them off there. Cardiff are five points clear at the moment with a game in hand, so probably will be eight points. And there's only ten games left, so you know, even if we do make the playoffs, we'll probably be playing Fulham again as the as the sixth place team going to the third place team. So yeah, I think. I think that's the funniest thing because me and you spoke before the game and, you know, trying to be cautious, cautiously optimistic, we both said, look, if we have got promotion, you know, hopes and credentials, then you have to go to Fulham and, and get that point or at least compete. Um, and I think that is the worrying thing, isn't it? We are well on course to be very much in with a shout at the playoffs to the last three, four games of the season. And if we got there, we're probably playing Fulham at the minute. Yeah. And um, I, I think I completely agree. If you just look realistically at it, I know sometimes, especially fans who are there, it's hard to take the passion out of the situation, but they're just a better team than us at the minute. Yeah, they without are, a it, doubt. Uh, and you're quite right on Cardiff as well, Ben. Um, I think, you know, if you, if you listen to any pundits or anyone at the start of the season, they should have been nowhere near the playoffs. And yet they find themselves in second. I think I, I put out yesterday just a... a not expected goals, nothing fancy, just a form league table for the last six games. Cardiff topped that table. 
and it's unreal. The last, I think, last ten games they've won eight. So when you coincide that with Fulham's form, which is I think they've only lost two since November, you've got two sides there that are just absolutely bossing the league, and no one expected Cardiff to do that. And it's coincided with Wolves' slight drop off as well. So although I still fully expect Wolves to go on and win the league that will tighten up. I don't expect Villa to compete with that for the rest of the season at all. I think it will be those three, as yeah. you said. No, I, I haven't seen, like I say, uh, Villa just haven't impressed me that much. I mean, I know they went on a, a good sort of winning winning streak of like seven or eight games, whatever it was that, that we kind of came in the middle of. But, you know, I, I would really fancy our chances against them over over two games or as a one-off game. I mean, you know, we, we took a, we got a draw out of playing them away and we, you know, I think we should at least have drawn with them at home. It was a bit of a sucker punch to kind of lose that one. But, yeah, I mean, the other kind of thing with Fulham um, that I, I kind of urge fans not to get too frustrated with is, you know, this is the culmination of several years of, of building for them. I mean, I caught this on the radio last night, but I think the the season, sorry, three years ago, I think they finished about 17th. And then the season after, they were sort of 14th. Last season, they got into the playoffs on a, a phenomenally strong run, much like they're doing right now. And then this year, they've obviously improved again into you know what is, I would be fairly confident saying, a, a mid-table Premier League team, I think. If you drop them into this year's Premier League, I think they would be you know somewhere in that kind of 12th, 13th range, just on the basis that there are some quite weak teams in the Premier League this season. So, you know, it's without wanting to kind of you know doff our caps to little old Fulham or anything like that. I mean, you have to respect that it's you know several years of, of building at this level and signing players, as you say, that are just of a much higher quality than we have at the moment, as you know, as good as our team is and our manager is and the way we play, etc. You kind of just have to hold your hands up, I think, and not really worry too much about getting beat by a much better team as that is. Yeah, I think that's a perfect summarisation, really. It's exactly what my thoughts were as well. It was very different to, pretty similar to Wolves, it was very different to the whole result Mm. Um, or, or even even the Villa and Bristol City results, which we were extremely you know unlucky to lose. And as you say, if we've got those teams in the playoff, I get I'd be fully optimistic. Yeah. Um, just from a statistics point of view, we play those teams ten times. That result goes in our favour eight nine times out of ten if you look at the facts. Yeah. And the figures on the numbers we produce. So it is just a case of it was what it was. Unfortunately, last night. Um, and it, it, if you look at the actual way the table fell. At the end of the evening, at one point, it may have not looked great on the results-wise, but it doesn't really change our season too much. We're three points off six with a game in hand. Uh, you can maybe say four points if you look at the goal difference to Middlesbrough specifically. Mm. Uh, it's quite a big difference. I think it's 10 goals um, in the uh, GD column. So yeah. it, it doesn't really affect us, especially considering our next three games are against sides in the bottom half and two of them at home. So yeah, I mean, if you want to... If you want to be in the playoffs, you've got to take seven or nine points, haven't you, from that run? I think so, yeah. And um, uh, I think it was, it might have been the last time we spoke actually on this podcast where we kind of um, you know, ran through the remaining fixtures, which I think was about 14 games at the time. And, you know, my point essentially there was we're playing a lot of teams further down the league. And then there's the, you know, there's the game against Fulham, there's the game against Cardiff, et cetera, sprinkled in there. And, you know, at that point, I was kind of thinking, you know, those are probably losses or, you know, one point at best. So, as you say, uh, our season is certainly not going to be defined by um, a comfortable defeat at Fulham, although we probably will have to play them again if we do end up with the ultimate goal of yeah. getting in the playoffs. Um, Definitely. All right. So, uh, I mean, since we last spoke, uh, I've obviously played a number of games and I want to just kind of, uh, I guess, summarise uh, what's happened in the last few weeks, I suppose, and any kind of takeaways we have from that. So, we obviously spoke after the Leeds game. 
after which we had the, the cup game at Leicester, the win over QPR, then we had the whole game, which you just mentioned, then we beat Reading, and then we had the Fulham game last night. So, I mean, overall, it's it's been a slightly strange few weeks, I think, but I think if you do take a step back, then you know recent form is is fine. I think you know we were we were the better team against uh, Leeds. We were the better team against QPR. Um, we can talk about Hull in a bit more detail in a sec, uh, and we were certainly the better team against Reading. So you know I'm, I'm fairly still fairly comfortable of of where we are at the moment in terms of uh, you know chances of making the playoffs. I think. Um, do you want to uh, do you want to talk a little bit about that Hull defeat and the sort of aftermath and just what a weird a weird week that was I think <laughs> around that game I I couldn't believe it to be honest I mean I I was as frustrated as anyone with the performance if we addressed the performance first mm. I don't think we need to spend too long on it because we can see it's been rectified since by the Reading result yeah um, but yeah it, it was dour you know it was extremely poor uh, lack of lack of I'm not one of these fans that likes to quote things like lack of passion, lack of fight, because mm. quite often I think that's an easy thing to say. And it, there's a lot more to it than that quite often. Yeah, it's hard to um, quantify or qualify that, isn't it? It is. It is. And, you know, as, you, as many people who follow me might know, I am more of a numbers guy uh, mm. or a performance guy. So I'm, I'm trying to look for the actual indicators of why that happened. And uh, I couldn't really find any for that other than we just didn't do the things we've been doing all year. Yeah, It was, as, it, 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 sent the, it was more of a mentality issue. Um, whether that was the whole Farrar with the protests uh, and the interruptions of the game, whether it was the the Friday night, I, I'm really not sure. Um, but we were just off the pace. And yeah. I, I agree with, we'll get on to Wilder's comments in a minute, but I agree <laughs> with what Wilder does say, which is if you are off the game, off the pace in this league against anyone, you will not win the game. That has been proven when Sunderland went to Wolves and won. Um, it's been proven through many fixtures throughout this league. If, if you're off the pace in an individual game, you don't get the points. Um, did, did that actually happen? Did Sunderland go and beat Wolves? Did I miss that one? Like, no, it, not, it, it, I'm saying you're wrong. I just uh, no, no, no. They either won or got a, they either, they either won or got a one-one draw away at Wolves. <laughs> um, that was some months ago now, but it did, yeah. it did happen. I mean, and then if you look recently at Bristol City as well, they were three 0 up against yeah not, not Sunderland. One. But you know, if you are off the pace, even in a half of football in this league, it, it hurts you. Um, and we were off the pace for the full ninety. There was some indicators from that performance that. I thought could have changed the outcome, um, especially early on when it was nil-nil. A couple of things that I think wouldn't, in the grand scheme, seem big, but Ryan Leonard, for example, um, who I am still... You cannot judge Ryan Leonard. He's not had nowhere near enough minutes at all. I'm mm. very unsure about the position we seem to be throwing him in. He, he seems to play instead of Duffy, and he's asked to do a job that's not Duffy's job, but he's the advanced of the three attacking of the three midfielders. Mm. Um, yeah, his numbers at South End suggest that he's not that high in terms of his assists, his expected assists, his goals, his expected goals, his chance creation. Um, he's more of a box-to-box player, a combative player. He can mm. drive the game forward. He does have that carrying ability, which I do think we lack. So that is good. But I think in the final third, his option, his vision, his way of finding a chance, Baldock twice could have been played in at nil-nil. Yeah, I remember. Um, yeah, and I mean, you know, this is this is it's very harsh to put that on Ryan Leonard. It's not Ryan Leonard's fault we lost that game. It's not Ryan Leonard's fault that things didn't happen. It's just if you look at individual incidents that do change the flow of the game and the game management, it, if he lifts his head and plays him in there and we score, we're probably looking at a very different outcome, aren't we? But 
that was the way that game went, wasn't it? It wasn't just Leonard. There was mistakes all over the pitch and a, a lack of comp- fight and competition from everyone, really. Yeah, I, th- I think that nails it. I mean... You know, if you if you uh, if you take a step back from that whole game, it was a it was a crap game all around. It was two teams playing like crap, basically. Uh, yeah. It was a very tight game with a goal settled from you know poor defending from a corner, essentially. You know, it, it wouldn't be um, it wouldn't be out beyond the realms of possibility that we just got away with a nil nil from that one. But as you kind of said, the the performance was the thing that was so worrying because it came out of absolutely nowhere. I mean. That was probably the worst I've seen us play. I would say yeah. un- under Wilder. I mean, you could probably call back to a couple of games last season, like maybe Fleetwood at home, maybe. But um, yeah, it-, it was very worrying in terms of like we're you know we just reeled off these two wins against uh, against Leeds and QPR. Then we've um, you know we're putting a good showing against Leicester. And it's like where the heck has this performance come from? We just yeah. you know I-, I went into that whole game thinking right you know let's let's turn it on here. Let's have a nice comfortable win. Three league wins in a row, here we go. And then that just came out of nowhere. I mean, you know, Duffy didn't start, which is an easy thing to kind of say. You know, there is that, there certainly is merit to saying that we're, you know, we're a completely different team when Duffy doesn't play because, you know, he is one of our best players by by a margin, I think. But yeah, it, it just seemed like everybody was completely off the pace, you know, making simple simple mistakes, poor decisions. It was It was a bit of a mess. And then I guess the... <laughs> The, the sort of the reaction from this game. Uh, wow! Wow! Yeah. And it, it was hard not to get sucked into it. I mean, I essentially took a couple of days off from paying attention to it because I thought this is just going to be a, a bloodbath. But then I, I yeah. kind of, uh, you know, then I saw Wilder's comments, and uh, you know, so I, I think um, uh, how can we summarize Wilder's comments here? He essentially paraphrasing, but it was essentially, uh, you know, I've taken this player, this bunch of players as far as I can. Uh, I might as well give, you know, the playoffs is a dream. I might as well just give up on that dream now. Um, and I'm I'm in two minds as to how I feel about this uh, in retrospect. I mean, at, at the time, I felt very uh, negatively about it. I felt like, oh, God, you know, what, what what's happened here? This is just going to whip up a, a media storm. And it obviously comes on the back of the the news of, uh, you know, potential takeover action behind the scenes as well. Um, but then it, with a bit more distance, um, you know, I'm still in a bit of two minds about it because on the one hand, it it was, uh, you know, a proverbial kick up the backside, which which clearly had an effect with the Reading game afterwards. Um, but yeah, on the other hand, it did sort of pour petrol on this this building narrative about unrest behind the scenes and, you know, just general kind of, we haven't invested enough money and maybe this team isn't actually good enough, etc. So... Yeah, I, I don't know how you feel felt about that one when uh, when the sort of the comments came out afterwards. Yeah, I mean to summarise because I know we're trying to get through a lot of stuff because of the amount of games, but I'd offer a different point of view. I was very much like you to begin with. I was like, oh god, <laughs> <laughs> team, we we are a team that is based predominantly on being more than the sum of our parts, and the togetherness and team spirit is probably what makes us perform how we do. Yeah, that is the the hallmark of a Chris Wilder team. That's not to say we're not technically or tactically good because we are. But we are a team in every sense of the word. And it was almost like, if that falls down, what have we got left? Mm. And then the narrative, I think, I won't say media, but the narrative then with the the boardroom talks and there was a, a midweek interview with Wilder where he may have let slip that he, nothing wrong with what he said, but the way it was taken, you know, he'd like to know what's happening above. And it was just all, oh God, it's it's caving in here. Yeah. Um, but my point of view would actually be very clever management from Chris Wilder, not only for the kick up the backside to the players, but 
I think that put the spotlight on him and his comments, not the player's poor for poor performance. Mm. As much as that was discussed, don't get me wrong, because you couldn't get away from it. If you looked at anything social media, not just United fans, all fans who EFL fans who watched that game tweeting Chris Wilde on social media, it was all about his comments. Mm. Now that detraction internally, I'm sure there was a kick up the backside as well. But that detraction, I'm not saying it resulted in the win at Reading, but it certainly may have took the pressure off the players in terms of. Right, you know, I, I've said this. I've took the spotlight off us. You were so poor. Now go and go and help me out, as I've helped you out. Type thing. It is a ploy that a lot of managers do. Klopp uses it a lot of Liverpool. I've seen, um, not to that extent. <laughs> yeah, that's just what wilder Sheffieldness coming through. I think. But uh, yeah, well, it's, it's very much a Mourinho tactic in his first sort of. Sp- I think his first spell at Chelsea wasn't it? Just every time they had a bad game, he would essentially just talk nonsense and make the story about him. And uh, you know, yeah, I mean, I mean, it was different with Wilder because. It was honesty, wasn't it, as well? Yeah. You know, and that, that's what we all love about Wilder's interviews. It's not an Adkins. It's not metaphors. <laughs> it's just honest. Um, but I do think that there was a slight element of that in it. Um, but yeah, what a weird, weird week. Yeah. A very poor performance, but predominantly we lost 1-0 and got six points out of nine. Yeah. And everyone thought the world was caving in. I, I mean, I have to say, I, I was uh, I was pretty worried going into that Reading game because, you know, as I just said, I kind of tuned out from most of the coverage of the team over that weekend. And then I, I watched like uh, uh, one of Wilder's sort of preview interviews on our YouTube channel just before the Reading game. And, um, you know, I don't know if I was reading too much into it, but his body language looked off the way, you know, he looked as, like, it looked actually like he was still a bit annoyed, like not, not the sort of usual character that you see in those interviews. And I, I was just thinking, Oh God, what's going on here? Like, is this, is this the moment we're kind of all dreading where it kind of all, all falls down, but they went into that Reading game. And I mean, let, let's be right. Reading were terrible, but what a great performance. I mean, I know they sort of point to a, you know, they, a, a supposedly unsportsmanlike third goal, but you know, we we could easily have won four, five, six, one in that game. It was it was very much vintage United this season, and yeah, uh, just so f- it made the whole game seem even more bizarre that we played the way we did in that game because we were we were excellent against Reading. I thought, yeah, hundred um, percent. Yeah, I'm, I'm not too sure about that goal. I didn't really see you know what what happened from an unsportsmanship point of view, giving the ball back and all this nonsense. What I would say I saw about that goal is the outstanding pass from John Fleck. Yeah, it was a big um, good. And a heck of who a finish was, as well. Oh, it was. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what Billy Sharp does, as we've said before, and I'm sure we'll allude to later. But that was a, that was John Fleck's game. Um, mm. You know, the coming back of John Fleck, if you will. He, he, I, wouldn't say, I wouldn't say he's been poor at any point, John Fleck, but there is games where he can go missing. Yeah. Uh, and naturally, when Coots did get injured, we all know this Paul Coots argument, which... I've got personal opinions about, but um, <laughs> a lot of pressure then goes on to John Fleck from a creative perspective from deep. Mm. Um, I think a little bit of that has been alleviated with the signing of Lee Evans, who has been wonderful for me mm. since he's come in. Um, and that may well help Fleck in towards the end of the season. We might see him free up and, and play more games like that. But yeah, it was uh, it was a good game from us. Um, XG 2.9, one of our highest of the season, uh, in our, certainly in our top five. Yeah. Somehow it got close in the start of the second half, um, and we do have to give a big shout out to Simon Moore. Yeah, definitely. Regardless of it, of whether it was a penalty or not, you know, game goals change games and, and game management and all this, and uh, that, that save was massive. It took any momentum they had built away from them and gave it all back to us. So credit to Simon Moore for that. Yeah, 
Well, let's uh, let's just quickly segue there actually into uh, something that we wanted to cover last time, but ran out of time, and that that is um, you know how lucky we are actually as a club to have two very good goalkeepers. Where um, you know I think my kind of opinion on this is you can pretty much flip a coin as to who is the better keeper, but I, I probably in recent weeks would probably side with with Blackman. I think, but it is it is at a stage where it's basically whoever has the shirt keeps the shirt. I think, and it's you know we have actually kind of needed that ability. If you if you sort of look back, we have been quite unlucky with our goalkeeper position this season I mean you know Moore comes into the season as the number one and gets injured in pre-season and then uh, Blackman goes out injured uh, so Moore comes back in and then I think I think if I'm right Blackman was kind of reinstated when he was fit again but then he gets injured Moore comes in Moore gets sent off Blackman comes in and then he's injured again and so I mean yeah but for having two you know very high standard goalkeepers for this level we could be having a quite a different season I think yeah, definitely. I mean, I've naturally numbers. Um, <laughs> I, I look at numbers. Um, I, I can't even with numbers in front of me. It's very hard. It's flip a coin. Uh, Jamal Batman has played more games, so these I've tried to do some of these stats based on the games they played rather than the total amount. Um, but claim percentage, so coming and claiming crosses. Uh, Jamal Blackman ninety-seven percent. Simon Moore a hundred percent. But mm. Jamal Blackman has claimed fifty-seven to Simon Moore's twenty-two. Okay. Which I, th- I think we all acknowledge that there's nothing wrong with Simon Moore's um, commanding of his area. But Jamal Blackman, for me, just visually seems to command an area better. Um, I think one thing about that Reading first half was the amount of crosses he come and claimed. It just instantly takes pressure off defences. Yeah, um, I, I can't remember. I, I think I'm going back to Paddy Kenny before I'd like, uh, I can think of a United goalkeeper where I had such confidence of dealing with crosses where, you know, not, not just the fact that he, he is going to catch it and not drop it, but, you know, if a cross comes in, I'm, I'm basically looking at Blackman. Regardless of where the ball's yeah. going to its trajectory, I'm thinking, he's got this. You know, he's just going to come charging out, tower over everyone. And uh, and you know stop a chance even happening. So agreed completely. And it does make a big difference as well because oppositions do see that. You know the amount mm. of analysts analytics that goes on in today's game. Um, and even if they start the game crossing the ball, if Blackman comes and takes four or five crosses that, as you say, are quite far out of the area, and most keepers are not coming to get them, and he's successful and he does claim them, he don't punch a lot, he catches. Um, you know, then all of a sudden that team's thinking we can't just pump this because it's no point. We're losing the ball. Um, Save percentage is actually a really good one to show how close they are. Jamal Blackman's save percentage, so this is against, obviously, shots face to goals, 60.3% and Simon Moore, 60.6. Right, so there's that that shots on target that result in goals. So save 60% of shots on target, right? Basically, yes. So shots on target, uh, Jamal Blackman, 60.3, Simon Moore, 60.6. There's only 0.3% difference in their saves. Mm-hmm. So, and that's obviously um, average on their shots face between them. So that's a, it's a pretty good stat, that. Um, and then the, the only other one I've pulled off, really, is their minutes per goal conceded. Obviously, this is defence as well and the mm. whole team as a unit. But the goalkeeper's a big part of that in terms of organising and commanding that defence. Um, Jamal Blackman, 69.8 minutes per goal conceded. And Simon Moore, 85.2. So there is a marketable difference there. But again, Jamal Blackman has played 10 more games. So Yeah, and I think... Uh... Yeah, Blackman came, you know, he played in the, the Fulham game uh, early in the season, which was five goals in 90 minutes, of course. Um, I think we had another game around there where we shipped a few a few goals as yeah. well. So, yeah, that kind of, uh, that kind some of outliers. skew that one a little bit, I guess. But, yeah, I mean, in summary there, I guess, yeah, we, we've, you know, we shouldn't, uh, 
we should certainly not take for granted the fact we have two equally good, high-quality goalkeepers at the moment, and um, that's obviously been a, a big benefit to us for, for getting where we are. Um, we're running a little bit out of time, mate, I think, uh, in terms of yeah, yourself. So I'm just going to rattle off, um, uh, well, just some stats that I saw uh, related to our defence, which we kind of mentioned there. So this comes from um, EFL Stats on Twitter, who published some very interesting stuff just you know, on a kind of, uh, some of it kind of basic kind of shots and goals, that sort of thing, but also getting into expected goals as well, which is uh, a, a metric of interest to me personally and yourself, obviously. Um, and yeah, I noticed that uh, they tweeted out before this Fulham game, we, we actually have the, the best defence in the league in terms of uh, expected goals against. So essentially, um, we are the best in the league at limiting teams to, uh, well, to, to good chances, basically. And if you add up uh, the value and frequency of all our opposition chances, our defence has been the best in the league, eh? which I think kind of, you know, flies in the face of the, maybe every every team's fans thinks that, think this, but the idea that oh, we're a bit shaky at the back and, you know, the fact we haven't kept many clean sheets is actually a, a sign that our defence is, is weak and needs improving, etc. But, yeah, that advanced metric uh, shows that it's actually a very good, if not the best, defence in the league at the moment, which is great to see. Yeah, I mean, to, to put some more meat on the bones on that one, um, we're 14th in the league for goals conceded, yet XG-wise, as you've perfectly explained uh, XG, Ben, so well done for that. <laughs> um, we We are the best defence in the league for XG, or were before the Fulham game. So, that narrative that was stated by United fans quite a few months ago about the shots just seem to be flying in against us thing, uh, especially in that Bristol City, that Aston Villa period. Mm-hmm. I've looked at the numbers and that's quite right. Yeah. Um, not often that fans' narratives are, no. <laughs> to be honest. Um, <laughs> but it is right. Sh- shots were going in against us that, on average, wouldn't. Yeah. Um, so it, it, it does make for interesting reading. And also, you, you obviously... Everyone has Facebook, Twitter, whatever, and, and the Sheffield United fans' discussions. It's all good debate. I love the debate. Um, but the debate regarding, I see a lot of fans, how is Jake Wright not getting a game? Mm. Um, I love Jake Wright. I think last year, what, what a run, especially with the no losses. What a yeah, great, per, great person to have in the club as well. I'm sure behind the scenes, he does a lot of great work with young players um, because he just seems like a wonderful person who's came up from nothing to a great... I'm sure he never thought he'd be at the second level of English football. Mm. Um but statistically, there is no reason to play Jake Wright. I know that we had that great run of wins last year, but that was when we were the dominant team in most games. Yeah. Since Richard Stearman's come back in the defence, we've gone from, it was the fifth best defence in the league to the best. Mm. And that's, that's that back three. Now, that's not necessarily Stearman's actions. That's the way he marshals Basham and O'Connell, um, right. which, which I think is a key point, really, as to how good Stearman's been. If you look at his individual numbers for clearances, interceptions, tackles, He's nowhere near the highest defender in the league, never mind our team. Mm. But it's it's what he's doing communication-wise. And I think when you go and watch the Blades, you can see that quite often and hear Steam and actually organising the, the defence and the midfield. So, Yeah, I, th- I think he has been excellent since he's come back into the team in the, in the last few months. I mean, my, my other sort of thing with this, uh, with the expected goals stat for our defence is the, the other two teams uh, up at the top are, um, are Wolves and Cardiff, uh, which you kind of expect, of course, given their league position. But the... The big thing for me is that prior to this um, prior to this Fulham game, we expected goals had us, uh, we should have conceded 28 goals, if you want to put it that way. And we'd actually conceded yep. 40. So it was a difference of 12 based on what, what should have happened and what actually happened. And the, the big thing I noted from that was that the, the figures for Wolves and Cardiff were much closer to reality. So their defences were essentially getting their 
they're just desserts, they're rewards. They're, you know, the amount of goals that they should have conceded is very close to to the amount that they have conceded, which kind of, you know, kind of shows you the fine margins we've we've been up against, and we could very very easily be higher up the league having conceded fewer goals had things sort of broke the way that they should have done as it ha- actually has done for for Wolves and Cardiff I mean that's certainly not to to denigrate their achievements because they are you know clearly two of the best three teams in the league but kind of just shows you that um you know we sat down in ninth at the moment but we could easily be looking at uh you know five or six more points in our possession and you know sat quite pretty in the playoffs at the moment yeah definitely um it is an outlier against us, unfortunately, yeah. um, and you just you just hope that the the final few fixtures of the season, as we always talk about, regress back to that mean, and all of a sudden the defence becomes completely miserly um, because we need that, as you will have seen from those EFL stats, and I, I've obviously got my own numbers on that. Offensively, Sheffield United don't rank very highly for XG four. Mm. Um, you know, our expected goals has it was never high, uh, but it has come down quite a lot as well since the turn of the year. We Our chance creation is extremely low. Um, just to move on to kind of offensively, mm. we are 19th in the league uh, in terms of chances created per game and we're 19th in the league on our shots per game, which is 11.4. Yeah. Which does go back to what you said, Ben, in the last podcast, proving your point. Well, well done, mate. Um, <laughs> which is that we don't waste possession, we don't waste shots, we create high quality chances, but we are more and more often creating less chances. Um, the Reading game, obviously, was a bit of an outlier for that for me. But even when I watch the Blades now, from, this, from the kind of the first 16 games to the last 16 games, I've seen a little bit of a shift in that we struggle to create. Mm. Um, and I think, I think that's especially uh, when we go a goal behind or go level, I do feel as though we, uh, we're not going to score two or three quite often uh, yeah. between now and the end of the season in our, in our current tactical state. So... We do need the the numbers for the defence to come back to normal, but it doesn't necessarily mean the defence have to do anything different. It just means we need, may need a bit of luck on our side. Yeah, indeed. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned uh, you know, regression on a few of these things there, and I, I think we can just uh, give ourselves a small pat on the back with uh, a couple of things we talked about on the last podcast that then ended up happening. So we we said uh, you know we we're expecting to score more goals from corners because we're still creating good chances and then obviously we we got one in our very next game against QPR um, and then yeah the other thing that we uh, we talked about was uh, goals from midfield after which we've we had one from Lundstrom and one from Duffy the great striker at, at Derby uh, at Reading as well so um, yeah hopefully those things will will kind of continue to uh, improve slash return to uh, how they should be I guess over the rest of the season. And we'll kind of keep on, um, you know, keep on chasing the playoffs, I think. I mean, my, as I kind of said uh, earlier on, I mean, you know, I really do feel that Wolves, Cardiff and Fulham are just in a an elite class of their own, a, t- a tier above us, essentially. But I see no reason why we, right now, I see no reason why we can't finish sixth, to be honest. I think we're in that bunch of teams of uh, five or six teams who are going to be fighting for fifth and sixth, because it does look like Derby are on a bit of a slide. Uh, I, I expect Villa will hang, will you know, stay in the playoffs. But then I, I see no reason really why we can't finish above Bristol City or Preston or or even Middlesbrough. To be honest, to lest we forget, we're actually I think one of the promotion favourites at the start of the season and spent big money, but have only just recently gone above us. And you know, as you say, you win we win that game in hand next week, and we will be level on points with them again. Yeah, definitely. Um, I did um, just do some stats before the Fulham game on the top six kind of battle. Mm. Um, expected goals against, expected goals for, um, expected goal difference, and then what that would have meant 
very basic on, on expected points. So obviously, if you had the higher XG goal difference, then if you drew the game, I've put down three points. Um, just to run through that. So Derby are actually seven points down. Uh, this was before last night's games on where they should be. So even though their results are actually stuttering, the numbers say Derby are actually doing well. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, which is interesting, isn't it? Because I think me and you have both been, been talking uh, outside of the pod and, and agree that Derby are going to get drawn into this battle. Mm. Um, and it, it still may work like that. These are just numbers uh, and it's a small sample size. It's only six, last six games that I've taken. Yeah. Um, but Derby are actually performing under where they should be. So if they did regress... Derby will probably make the playoffs. However, if they do carry on Derby into the factor of Derby, um, they will <laughs> slide down the table with plummeting ease, uh, just like our illustrious neighbours, actually. Um, get, that, get that dig in there. Yeah. Bristol, Bristol City are, are about four points down on where they should be. Middlesbrough are only two points down on where they should be. So I think Middlesbrough have had a hike in form in the last six games and the numbers suggest that that's exactly what they have done. Mm. Uh, Sheffield United are actually three points down. Right. And where we should be. Um, and finally, Preston are three points down and in the form of their life. Yeah. Uh, I mean, respect to Preston. They are, uh, they are more than hanging on in there. I mean, what I, when I was looking up some, uh, some stats for this podcast, I, I was surprised to see they're actually the, um, the second best away team in the entire league behind Wolves um, in yeah. terms of, you know, just purely points won away from home. So, Certainly, the game uh, when they come to the lane is uh, is not going to be a gimme whatsoever. Um, By any means, yeah. <laughs> By any means, but hopefully, and give them a good game. Um, all right, mate. Uh, I, I know you've got to uh, you've got to dash off shortly. So, is there anything else you want to uh, quickly hit before we finish, or uh, are we all good? I could talk all day, mate. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> there was going to be one thing that I was going to cover. Um, I might just flit into it for two minutes because yeah, I have got two it. more minutes. Um, and it was just I've seen some narratives regarding Leon Clark. Mm. Um, I want to post a bit of a defence of Leon <laughs> go for it you will really? find a, a, a fervent defender here so go for it um, so Leon's performance in the first half of the season was not exceptional it was out of this world yep. um, he outperformed his XG by 8 goals at one point which was the <laughs> highest in the league it was probably the highest in England I don't <laughs> probably don't, don't yeah. be on that but there was no one outperforming their XG like Leon Clark um, which is why there was I think quite silly links with other clubs because I don't think he was ever going anywhere, but there was a reason for that. Yeah. And it was never going to, it was never going to be sustainable, especially with United dropping how we create chances. Um, so what's happened is Leon has, I think changed the way that he plays, um, mm. whether that's tactical or individual, or the way the game just pans out. And I've got some kind of numbers to, to back that up. Um, so I've done a bit of a billion and Leon comparison mm. Because Billy Sharp has actually come, for me, has now become our main striker, where it was Clark. Well, he's almost caught um, up on goals, right? What is Sharp now, yeah. like 12, 14, ten. something like that? I think it's 10, 10 for league. Oh, yeah. Um, 10 for league, Leon 14 for league. But if you look at shot conversion rate, that's 10 goals from 30 to 31 shots for Billy. So 25, we'll say 26%. Leon Clark, 14 from 64, so that's 22%. So... Better conversion rate for Billy Sharp, as mm. I would personally expect, because I think Billy is the finisher. He is the predator. Yeah. Um, but but looking outside of just the, the generic striker stats, of, you know, their expected goals, Leon Clark's at 9.8. He scored 14, so he's still outperforming where he should be. Yeah. Uh, that's predominantly because since the turn of the year, Leon Clark has not had a high XG. Um, but I think that the numbers I've got here explain probably why that is. 
So Leon Clark's chances created this year, so the amount of chances Leon creates for us mm. has moved up to 26. He's about the sixth best player in the team at creating chances. Really? Now, mm. Yeah, that, I found that interesting. You know, Considering the way we play, the domination of the ball, our midfield should be the ones creating chances and strikers should be on the end. Yeah. I don't have the graph as such, but since the turn of the year, Leon's chance creation numbers have massively improved. Um, great example at Reading. He was on the left wing putting a crossing for Billy. Yeah, and I think against QPR as well, you know, I was uh, at that match with my brother and I kind of said to him afterwards, like, Clark, that is probably his best performance of the season. He was, it was like a perfect attacking performance without actually getting a goal himself, although it's, it's not like he was missing chances left and right or anything. And really in that game, you saw him, you know, giving the right centre-back of... Um, of QPR just just fits all the way through the game. He was absolutely exploiting that that sort of inside left channel, and you know he, he created quite a few chances just by getting down the left and centering the ball. So yeah, that's uh, I, I don't know as you say I don't know if that is tactical or just um, you know, just the way it's kind of panned out. But certainly he brings more to our game than than just goals at the at the moment, which is encouraging as those have dried up. Well, I think as well, brilliant point on the QPR game, because I think everyone everyone stated that, he, especially Wilder stated after the game, the work rate that he showed yeah. was fantastic. And again, striker-wise, those numbers can be shown. I've looked at the numbers in terms of, we've discussed this, so you'll like this one, ball recoveries. <laughs> yeah. So that, that's, that's closing down, that's, in, that's closing down. It's not necessarily intercepting, but it's pressure on the ball and then winning it, winning it back and, and not necessarily counting the pass afterwards, but actually having control of the ball, so not just winning a throw-in or, or something like that. Leon Clark has 74 ball recoveries compared to Billy Sharp's 40. Right. Okay. So if we're looking at work, work rate alone, uh, and that's the highest in our squad for the strikers. Yeah. Um, it's actually higher than a lot of the midfielders as well. <laughs> but if we're looking at work rate alone, Leon's been asked, or, or he's personally took it upon himself to put a lot more work around the pitch, whereas Billy, Billy's doing what Billy does, which is staying central, working channels, sniffing chances. So I think that where I'm getting to with this is... Us fans need to be a lot more understanding about what Leon brings to the team. Um, and it's no coincidence that Billy Sharp's spike in performance and goals has coincided with the numbers I have that say that Leon's doing more for the team. So, a bit, bit of a fervent defence of Leon there. And I think that they are, without a shadow of a doubt, our best two up yeah. front. Um, and I don't think that his goal drought uh, will continue for much longer, with the games coming up especially. I think it will have. I know he's had a, a slight knock. I think a rest will do him some good, mm. um, and hopefully he comes back quite refreshed. But certainly, I, I think Leon will score some goals between now and the end of the season. Probably needs to stop working as hard. Actually, <laughs> maybe. I mean, I, I do think it is very. Uh, it's a very kind of simplistic view to go. Well, Clark hasn't scored since New Year's Day. He's a striker, therefore he should be dropped, and we should pick someone else instead who's going to score. Because, I mean, ultimately, uh, who cares who scores the goals as long as United are scoring goals and. You know, whilst uh, whilst maybe a, a number or quality of chances has declined, we are still hitting the back of the net pretty regularly, to be honest. I mean, you know, there's been a few blanks away from home, obviously, but, you know, generally we are scoring goals. I mean, as you say, Sharp has kind of very much picked up the, the goal-scoring slack in, in Clark's kind of uh, decline in that in that regard. So, yeah, they are the... I think they're still the top-scoring um, strike partnership in the championship as they were a few weeks ago. And uh, yeah, yeah, hopefully they just uh, those two just keep keep banging them in over the season, and we we keep getting a few more screamers from Duffy as well. It'd be quite nice. Yeah, definitely. What a goal! <laughs> Absolutely. All right, man. Uh, thanks very much for taking the time to talk. I could definitely um, 
definitely rattle on for much longer so i'm sorry if we uh skipped through some of these quite briefly but um yeah we've obviously got uh another three games now i think against teams who are mid to lower table so we've got ipswich on saturday we've got the rearranged game with burton on tuesday uh and then it's forest at home i believe the following saturday i mean it's it's very kind of reductive to say but uh you know hopefully we can get seven to nine points from these games um because i guess i guess any less and the playoffs become that bit more difficult just based on uh, who we have left to play, I suppose. Yeah, agreed completely. As I said at the start, a minimum, again, it's very simplistic to say, isn't it? But yeah. a minimum a minimum of seven from nine. I'm actually going to the Ipswich game. I'm in, uh, I'm in their corporate suite. Um, there's a, a friend at work who uh, is a massive Ipswich fan. Oh, very nice. Um, so I'm going in corporate with him. So uh, I'm hoping we win and I won't be holding back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so let's let's hope that happens. But uh, it, I, there'll be tough games in their own right. I think Forest is always a, a quite healthy game with United on the card front. Yeah, um, it'll be hopefully a good atmosphere with it being a Saturday game as well, which <laughs> we don't often have these days. Yeah, exactly. Um, but Burton will be an interesting game. They are extremely defensive side who like mm. to counter. Um, so our domination of the ball, Burton will allow that to happen. So we're going to have to be extremely uh, cautious in that game with when we lose it, what we do. Yeah. Um, and then I, I think Ipswich away, I know can I say a little bit about Ipswich from a friend who, who does go every week. Um, and they're very up and down Ipswich and at the minute they're on an up. So mm. it might not be as easy as some people looking at the league table think that he does tell me that Martin Waggon is bang back in form and he's a player who can score goals. So Yeah, just ask be- uh, Wednesday, I suppose. Well, that's why I put it in, Ben. Very uh, <laughs> sorry, uh, you it, went, you went for the subtle approach, and I just went subtle as a brick there. Yeah, basically. But uh, <laughs> I, th- I think it'll be a diff- very different game to the FA Cup game, is what I'm trying to say. And I think we're going to yeah. have to uh, go there and put in a, a proper away performance. You know, shut up, shut up shop, nice and early, very tight, and uh, and, and kind of build from that. Mm, yeah. So uh, hopefully it'll be a it. successful week, mate. Yes, indeed. Thanks very much again, and uh, yeah, enjoy the game on Saturday, and uh, yeah, have a good afternoon. Thanks, man. No worries, mate. Take care, bud. Cheers. Thanks a lot. Cheers, mate. Bye. All right. So thank you very much to Jay uh, for giving up some time to talk to me there. Um, so, yeah, I, I strongly encourage you to follow him on, on Twitter if you are a user of that particular social media platform. Uh, his Twitter handle is bladesarelife90. So it's blades are the letter uh, life underscore 90. Um, and yeah, you can also uh, follow the feed for this podcast as well, which is at BladesPod. Um, so please do so, where you will get news of latest episodes and uh, random musings from myself um, about all things Sheffield United, of course. So that's it. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, thanks for subscribing. Please do share, leave me a review, etc. Uh, I will probably be back with another podcast after the Ipswich game on Saturday. So thank you once again and goodbye. Goodbye.